This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead who've haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the video junkyard podcast i'm eric Branson. with me as always my co-host joe peterson how's hey. it going joe hey everybody going pretty good good hey it's uh night two of our week two of our exorcist prequel series and um we kind of ran out of time and ran out of breath beating the hell out of the exorcist the beginning last week oh my uh, god <laughs> so we get the opportunity, the unique opportunity, yeah. to look at its... Um, do, I don't dare call them sister films. That sounds like they get along in some way or that they exist in the same... <laughs> um, but they're... Um, Twins more like Basket Case. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a companion film, um, Dominion, prequel to Exorcist by uh, Paul Schrader, directed by Paul Schrader. Are you comfortable, Reagan? Yes. How old are you? Twelve. Is there someone inside you? If I ask him to tell me, will you let him answer? In time. We kind of went through the, the all of the story behind why there are two films, two prequels to The Exorcist that came out in 2004 and 2005, respectively. Right. And that's because Morgan Creek Productions... Uh, uh, put into production this movie um dominion or it was actually always it was always going to be called exorcist the beginning i should say so dominion was something that came after the fact the the released version of the film we're going to discuss tonight is called dominion prequel to the exorcist released in 2005 um however in its incarnation they had a screenplay they were going into uh, production with and um Originally, I think the director attached to it was, we mentioned this last week and I didn't have a name on the top of my head, but uh, Joe actually went and looked it up and it was actually John Frankenheimer yeah. was attached to this project at one yeah, point. You, yeah, you had said it. it's a big name director and I just can't remember it. And yeah, John Frankenheimer uh, was originally attached to this project. Um, and yeah, I believe he, like you had said last week too, uh, he left the project because of health reasons. Um, and then they ended up getting... Paul Schrader, he made pretty much a full film. I mean, it needed, a, you know, it was a, a rough cut, and they the studio didn't like it. They canned him. They canned it. They hired Rennie Harlan then to make the film that ended up getting the wide release. And as we talked about last week, it was an absolute shit show. It was terrible. Yeah, a train wreck. As you could probably have predicted by, you know, just hearing the story that, you know, a filmmaker made an entire film studio didn't like it came in tampered with it did a couple rewrites and then basically made the same movie over again with a guy that makes saturday morning cartoon shows uh, you know movies essentially so mm-hmm. um he doesn't literally make saturday morning cartoon shows but it, the equivalent it, yeah the yeah. equivalent of just doesn't seem like the right choice for an exorcist film and again i i'll say this a hundred times i i have no nothing against Rennie harlan i'm not going to get on here and talk a lot of shit about somebody um who has been a very successful you know filmmaker i 
just don't think he was the right person to do this movie, and pretty much every choice he made with Exorcist the Beginning, as we talked about last week, was, in my opinion, the wrong choice. It was just just one of the worst movies I've ever had to sit through. So. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it, it's, it's interesting then, because that obviously critics and audiences widely felt the same way, because the movie absolutely tanked. Morgan Creek and Warner Brothers were trying to get as much money back from this failing, burning project that they could. So they went back to Paul Schrader, and I'd like to say they went back to him hat in hand and said, sorry, and, you know. <laughs> you, know you wish that they did, but guess what actually happened? And this I, I was reading about the other day. Um, it was actually dropped into the lap of an editor, and I believe the person who edited the rough cut who was initially signed or assigned to edit Exorcist the Beginning. I don't believe edited Rennie Harlan's film. Rennie Harlan brought in an editor that he worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, but so this is dropped onto an edit into an editor's lap. And they said, we have about $35,000 to not only finish this film, but also to release it. And, you know, please get this film. Yeah, $35,000 is all they threw at it. This is after they're, they're trying to recoup. So, Rennie Harlan's film is a huge flop. Morgan Creek decides, hey, we still have this somewhat complete version of Paul Schrader's movie. Yeah. Fix this for us, editor. You know, Mr. Editor. Again, wish I knew the guy's name. I don't. Here is 50 um, cents, a bent paperclip, and a wad of yeah. chewing gum. Make it work. <laughs> yep. Glue this thing together for us, please. Um, so, he actually refused to do it without Paul Schrader, which is awesome oh, of the wow. guy to do. He said, no, this is, you know... I, I don't want to cut this film together without Paul, you know, because he's got, you know, he was very deliberate about what, you know, what he wanted this film to be and what he wanted it to look like. So um, Paul Schrader came back. I bet he never made a cent, but, you know, this guy pretty much is like, pretty much said, you know, I'm going to call Paul Schrader and I'm going to ask his opinion on this. So whether you guys like it or not, which is, which is cool. So Paul Schrader got back got involved again with the project and did get to make, you know, his cut of the film. It wasn't something done by the studio. It was this editor and and Paul Schrader actually did put this cut together. Uh, Some of the special effects scenes that were unfinished were quickly finished and you can kind of tell that although the special effects are far better in Dominion than they they are. are in the stupid beginning movie. But I did want to mention one thing, though, that I found kind of funny when, when we discovered that it was Frankenheimer that was originally attached to this. I mean, that should have kind of been an omen in and of itself, and that's nothing against John Frankenheimer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the fact that Frankenheimer was in this exact same situation only about, oh, eight years earlier. Um, when Frankenheimer directed the film The Island of Dr. Moreau in 1996... He had yeah. taken over production from Richard Stanley. Richard Stanley, yeah. You know, who... Which is um, another disastrous... Um, another... Yeah, yeah. and if that was... that was only, Stanley was only on set for about a week and a half, a little over a week and a half, and things were clearly not working out, so the studio canned him, and they brought in Frankenheimer, and he was just like, all right, let's just get this shit done. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I have to deal with Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer on a hot, sweaty island. Um, <laughs> with a bunch of practical effects, and obviously that movie failed as well. But at least that was mostly, you know, it was, supposedly it, had... it did give birth to. And just a shout out to the suppose. And I haven't seen the movie. I've I've heard it's brilliant though. There's a documentary called it's, Lost Souls it's or something. Very good about it's, making yeah. that movie. Yeah, and, and I, I would like to see it, but almost bought a copy of it on DVD at the Massacre Film Festival that I was at. It's <laughs> but, really good. Uh, it goes made into a different choice going to do. But... Yeah, it goes into what Richard Stanley had planned initially in the studio kept telling him dial it back, dial it back. He had some really brilliant ideas and I I have mixed feelings about him as a director, but I liked his vision for that. It was very unique for this classic HG Wells story. Um, but I just thought that was kind of funny, you know, they bring in John Frankenheimer to do that and you know, he he kind of picks up the pieces and ultimately what what Paul Schrader ended up doing and what Rennie Harlan ended up doing was the same thing that Frankenheimer had gone through just less than a decade earlier. I just thought that was kind of amusing, <laughs> right. but, but yeah, yeah to, he was essentially dodged a bullet on that happening again. So, yeah, but it, in this case, you know, it's uh D- dominion. I, I'll agree. It's, it is a much more cerebral film. It's, it's a better film. It's a more interesting story. I still have some of the same criticisms though that we had last week a couple of them stick i i agree however this is not 
ridiculously bad no. at any point. It definitely has somebody thinking behind it. Like the script is good, uh, or well written. There's good character development in it. It's you actually the things we're complaining about about Father Marin's character development and how it's just kind of used as like a plot point of him finding his faith in this this one is definitely much more of a journey for him um they also handle his his backstory with the nazis and all that is much more disturbing when presented Mm -hmm. in in its entirety in the opening of this film um because it lets it play out it's it's an entire scene all to itself it's not a bunch of you know um chopped up chopped up flashbacks with a lot of silly slow-mo um, I don't know. It just, it is so much better of a film. And maybe it's only because I was, I, I had just sat through, you know, Rennie Harlan's film that this was like a breath of fresh air to me, but I actually ended up really enjoying Dominion. Um, I did too. maybe um, only by comparison, because I do have, I do feel like that I, I have, there's some very solid criticisms and there's some problems with it, but in I generally. still, I still don't see this Father Marin aging and becoming Max von Sydow's character. I no, still don't. See I still it, think, but, but at least he's not, you know, he's this quasi Indiana yeah. Jones, unbelievable action hero, kissing the kissing the women, <laughs> like. Uh, um, well, and what they so and one thing I, I realized that we forgot to mention for the last episode too was that you know the basic plot between these two you know you talked there, there's a church right there's this church mm-hmm. that they're uncovering and oh god we never even went into like the actual the like <laughs> what little bit of mythos it's just because rennie harlan's film doesn't have any like there's a church and there's an upside down cross and an ooh evil ah demons yeah. over like that's and, and, and in this one they explore so essentially the the archaeological dig that Marin's working on is there's this church that was built it, it's, it's byzantine i believe yeah. And, well, and, and they found it. They find a Byzantine era Christian church in Central Africa, um, where it should not historically be. Right. So and it's then, an archaeological curiosity. Like, okay, well, who, you know, why is this church here, and who put it there? And in both films, uh, so that's in both films, and also in both films is the idea that this church is built and then immediately buried. Yep. Because it's in pristine. Is, it's in pristine condition. condition. There's no. Which, it, 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 from a geological perspective, I thought that was cool. Because they're talking about how, oh, there's no evidence of erosion or sandblasting. Or, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You know, for me, I get that <laughs> shit. Neat. But, you know, it's, it, it's, it is kind of an eerie concept. You know, if we removed this from being the exorcist, take the exorcist off the title. Both of mm-hmm. these films, I mean, Dominion... You know, the Exorcist, the beginning is still a bad film, but the, if you remove the source material, and that's my big criticism of the projects, plural, are that they none of them feel like they really should be Exorcist films. They're yeah, films about I exorcism, agree. I and they're films about demonic possession, and you know, I feel like the the loose threads that are tied to the original Exorcist film are kind of even in Schrader's film are shoehorned in a bit. Totally, like it doesn't really need to be there. No, no, I don't think Paul Schrader ever gave a shit about that though do you feel like he ever cared about it being connected not, really to the other it not really and i, I feel I'm like he was making him. a film that kinda, yeah I, I mean i kind of fault him on that in a way you know both of both him and rennie harlan and the studio because if it's like if you're not going to connect it don't call it that it's an obvious just it's an obvious cash in and right yeah, it's kind of insulting well and i think audience. maybe Let's look at it a little more optimistically. I don't know why I'm willing to do this. Probably because he made a competent movie, and I wasn't willing to be optimistic on the other one. But um, it was a cash grab, no matter what. The studio is doing sure. this Exorcist sure. thing, right? So he he had a like you know scope of you had to deal with Father Mira, and you had to deal with Africa, you had to deal with demons. You know, he got this script. Um, but I think what he brought to it is he. And probably this obviously comes out of the screenplay as well. The original screenplay is it's actually quite a good movie about the true nature of evil. It's not really yes. a religious, no, religious I demon agree. movie. Um, and that struggle works so well with, you know, Father Marin's struggle to find his faith or, or whatever it is. 
um, uh, there's so many layers because then the other layer of like you know it's a, it's an evaluation of what is the true na- nature of evil. They left a couple of lines in Rennie Harlan's movie that kind of tried to make it about that, but um, no, it, Rennie Harlan's movie's just well, and you know, in in this one we had talked about last time how there's no backstory to Pazuzu, this demon in the in in Rennie Harlan's film, and in this one I mentioned that there's a little bit of it. And, and that's in the case that it kind of... If you actually look up Pazuzu, um, it's actually, a, 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 I believe, Babylonian. I could be wrong on that. I could probably just look it up real quick. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, well, I think in, in William Peter Blatty's novel and even in the original Exorcist film, they set the Pazuzu stuff, all the archaeological stuff, is set in the right place for it to be Babylonian. Like, yeah, it that's... is. Yeah, yeah. I just found lucky. So Blatty based his what he calls Pazuzu on this Assyrian and Babylonian mythological god you know king of the demons of the wind son of the god Hanbi and all this so it's it's actually based on a religious deity of of a culture and they kind of touch on that in a weird way in Paul Schrader's film where it's not like I am you know he's not Lucifer he's not right this isn't strictly Judeo-Christian this is well. He almost is a bit insulted when Father Marin calls him Satan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he's kind of taken aback by like he's like, no, and like you, you, I'm old, silly person <laughs> with such a small vision of like what you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's that's what I mean by it goes into the source, the true source, a little bit more. Though, you know, and again, but then if you watch the original Exorcist, you've got the demon saying, I am the devil, I, you know. And yeah, mm-hmm. maybe that's just, you know, because it was the 70s and Pazuzu was kind of, you know, hip with it by then. I don't know. Yeah. But, well, yeah. And, and Paul Schrader, def- in this film, in Schrader's film, they definitely draw with, with the way the demon appears. They make it appear in, in multiple scenes like the face of Pazuzu from yeah. the Exorcist film. So it's very much said that this is the same demon you it know? is I, I think thing, i think you could it, in harlan's film you could leave that up to question maybe yeah whatever yeah in fact he um, just said in harlan's film the, the woman at the end when she becomes fully possessed so she looks more like reagan which doesn't make a lot of sense um no but one thing though that was was really cool about this version is that you know in we we'd mentioned last week how the original exorcist you've got this horrific event to bring someone back to their faith, and that is a little girl being possessed. And because there's no character development with the possessed in either of these versions, it completely falls flat. However, what works a bit better here is what's happening during the progression of the demonic possession. And that is you have this character who's like a a, a sickly leper, not leper, but he's this deformed Who's been boy. cast out? Who's been cast out? Okay. And yeah. as the possession continues, he gets better. He gets healthier. He gets stronger. And so, even though you don't have a lot of character development with him, it's that's the the horrific event. Isn't that it's horrific that he's getting better? But it's the do you really? This is a good thing happening, but through a very bad means. And so, there's a duality there. There's a struggle there of, well, if I drive the demon out of him, he goes back to being a sick, dying kid. The demon is rejuvenating him. And so there's a tug there, and that's what I thought was brilliant about Paul Schrader's film, is that it found a way of making you intrigued by this and and uncomfortable with this without it being a little girl saying a bunch of naughty words. Right. Well, it also... We, okay, we talked about two of the tiers that we evaluate evil. Like, there's our religious subtext. There's Father Marin's struggle with his faith. There's right. Chi-Chi, the boy, the deformed boy, uh, who is eventually possessed by the demon. Um, and his struggle against literal demonic evil. Um, there is also the plot, which is much more flushed out in Schrader's film, of the British army versus oh, yeah. uh, and the uh, native tribe that lives or, or owns the yeah. land and claims and, the and land we didn't get much of a chance to talk about that last time so we could talk about both in this case yeah so there's a valuation very much of humans well and also the nazi stuff so the, so father yeah. Marin's you know priest or story that how the film opens 
So there's many levels of, of evaluation of evil, and most of it's about you know men man's capability of evil, and is is evil something that actually exists outside of human beings, or is it something that's just you know present in all of us? And I think that's a kind of a paraphrasing of a line from it is father Marin at one point says that he doesn't believe in like literal demons right um that you know evil is something that exists in everybody and you see like a lot of really great examples of that and the i think major granville is a character that shines in schrader's version and is totally un- unused essentially he's played by the same actor in both he's another actor that's yeah. played in by yep. or another character played by the same actor yeah. in both films yeah julian um, julian wadham yeah Yep, and he is criminally underused in Rennie Harlan's film. Yep, and he's does really has almost no this. development. He's just there to like, um, you know, cause the conflict so that Rennie Harlan can show everybody die at the end. So, right. <laughs> um, and, in, and in this version, he's he's vicious. Yes, in Paul Schrader's, well, he is. Um, Again, it, it's kind of he's he's similar in a lot of ways to the Nazi character we see, the SS agent. Right. Um, people that are very strongly, I, I always want to say moral characters that make that makes it sound really odd, but they're they're very convicted characters. They're driven by their convictions. Um, mm-hmm. it, it leads them to do very awful and evil things because they cannot be swayed from their uh, beliefs or their convictions. Um, so, Major Granville, in, in Paul Schrader's film, what happens is there is an altercation between... Well, it's it's triggered because two, in, in Schrader's film, very, very different from Harlan's. In Schrader's film, two British soldiers get greedy, decide to break into the architectural site and steal stuff from the... Um, from the church, yeah. From the church, yeah. So, precious precious jewels and whatever, they're going to load up on all this stuff, hide it, take it back to you know England and be rich men. And we never see exactly what happens to them, but they go into the church where we know some odd stuff's been going on. Um, and they're stealing stuff. And then in the morning, they end up dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are essentially laid out on the altar. I think one is crucified and one's beheaded. Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, yeah. And as, you know, hey, well, there you go, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so... Obviously, Major Granville it assumes that the natives who they've been having rising tension with over this church and the evil that's supposedly you know coming out of them unearthing this church that should have been left alone in their opinion, um, he blames them for you know killing these two soldiers, and again that ramps tensions like way up to the yeah. point where um, you know he ends up. <laughs> personally assassinating an innocent woman in front of his entire platoon of troops and all of the natives and then uh, essentially putting them into a war situation with a small group of or a small platoon of soldiers into a war situation with the native village um, all over this architectural site so not architectural archaeological site um but there's well, a building both. so it's architecture but, yeah <laughs> so both i was correct good um i like it when i'm right about being right so there's there's a great scene in this too that you know you talked about how this deals with evil, right? And it, there's there's a a really interesting scene in this where during the I guess the exorcism, um, where the the possessed boy the the demon tempts Marin because Marin's living with all of this guilt about what happened with the Nazis. Uh, oh, yeah. I guess this we should is, just tell... Essentially by what, the way, what, 100% my favorite scene of the movie. Oh, mine too. Um, and, and so just to kind of let everybody know, in both versions, but one shows it much better than the other or in a more impactful way than the other, uh, in the Netherlands during World War II Nazi occupation, uh, Marin is essentially forced by this horrific Nazi uh, this SS officer, commandant, to pretty much allow the execution of a whole bunch of members of his parish or of his he has to he has to select who who dies he has to select who dies until this this nazi asshole is satisfied and it's a really really i mean that's this that's something common in both films and um and it really does do a a more or less effective job of establishing why Marin would be like all right i'm out you know i'm done with this i mean i think that's a good enough 
yeah. thing to have I, happened to yeah, somebody to make them I, question I, their faith. I would, I would <laughs> think, I would think, you know. But what's there's this awesome scene in in Dominion where Pazuzu says, you know, I will get, I will give you freedom. I will get rid of your guilt, and he shows Marin, uh, a, a, essentially a vision and a hallucination of what would happen if he didn't cooperate, if he didn't do what the Nazi commandant said, and what he finds out is nothing would have changed. Well, then instead of ten people being killed, everybody was yeah. killed, and the yeah. vision. Well, it would have been worse. Know. He wouldn't have saved anybody. Himself would have made included. Worse. Yeah. So, so essentially, it's like, hey, I'm, I am, I am exonerating you from your guilt yeah absolving you of guilt yeah, to show you, that you. god was going to yeah. kill them anyway essentially and, is what yeah and it's this really powerful scene about like you know what is the meaning of your free will it wouldn't have mattered anyway I, and it's i think it's a really intelligent depiction of temptation by a demon and i'm not a religious person so to me like Pazuzu almost sounds like he's talking common sense <laughs> at some point in there, but, uh, but, but I think it's a genius scene because it's a very grown-up version of temptation, right? It's not like you get piles of money or you can sleep with all the hot <laughs> chicks, you know, like yeah, which ninety yeah, percent of even with... good demon movies, that's the temptation, right? Like right, right. You, you can have a three-way with supermodels and yeah, like all, um, all this stuff, but instead, but of this this, one, this yeah. is the real type of temptation I think religious people mean. When you know they say that you know someone's it's, being tempted by, and that is it's it's offering being able to shrug off your guilt. It's offering or, forgiveness and it, like you, I, I use the wrong word, be, here, right? Absolving you of your guilt. And, yeah, because but, but Christianity. But so you're taking away your your choice, and I think that was the whole thing about mm-hmm. the choices that we make, right? The choices that you you made a choice and it didn't fix everything. And if you wouldn't have made that choice, it actually would have been worse. So you don't have to have guilt. But that also, in the way that, that he's tempting him, he's saying, so, you know, what's the point? And, I mean, that's the doubt, right? The doubt of doing good. That your your effort to do good did nothing. And that's really... I mean, I could see how they're using that as, as a, a means of, of demonstrating a form of evil. In a very interesting way a very thought-provoking way this movie well, and also like what does it say about a person of faith like i don't want to make it sound like self-flagellation necessarily but that guilt is part of your faith or at least that guilt is actually what drove him back to it, it right? it's, it's so living like... with your consequences it's living with the consequences of your actions whether it's the consequences you wanted or not it's it's being confident in your actions and if that's faith okay i understand you know sure i could i can we can have a talk about that but but in this case you know that's what he was really doing is is saying that you don't have to worry about the consequences of your actions because they could have been worse well yeah but that's still absolving somebody of of that it's also taking away like you said it's taking away the good that was yeah, accomplished as it, well. It really is, and I mean, maybe this it's is a saying that what you did you know, was unimportant. Yeah, you know, I, I could say to that the this, outcome. This film, upon finishing watching it, uh, ended up with in our house at least a much longer and in-depth, more interesting discussion than turning off the Rennie Harlan film when the credits rolled, being like, "Oh, I'm glad that fucking thing's over." You know, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> this, this is that's, but apparently, this is not what Morgan Creek wanted. You know. They didn't mm-hmm. want this, and and that's why I still feel like the film that they did go with is an insult not only to the source material but to the audience. And maybe, and to be fair, I'm sure there is an audience out there for the Rennie Harlan film that liked it, and they liked that style of demon possession movies. Fine, that's great. I'm, you know, if you removed the word exorcist from it, it'd be a like a dime a dozen. There are a lot of them like right, that, right. Well, this, I will never ever throw somebody under the bus for liking a movie. You know, if you have if you like. You know, the Exorcist, the beginning, I'm sure you have your reasons. Yeah. If I'm glad somebody out there got some enjoyment out of it because, God, I didn't like it at all. But No, but, but um, I'll say that this movie and the original Exorcist are thought-provoking. Yes, very much so. And they make you think about so. the meaning of evil. This is, they make you think about the meaning of, of true, of, of free will and, and the meaning of faith. And and I think that's, that's really... This is perhaps 
one of the most thought-provoking movies on the subject of, of evil, religious versus literal versus, you know, um, you know, what, what is evil? Is evil something you can define, you know, is it, is it something that exists? And I, I, I kind of get upset that it is an exorcist film because it has to go back to that place. Like it has to answer the question. Right. right. It, this movie would have been much better if it never answered the question, like just left you thinking like, what is it? Well, and then you have to think, well, what is it evil to me? What does it mean to my life? Like, how do I, you know, deal with that? It, it, you know, the, the fact that it is inside of all of us in some way. Um, oh yeah. That, that, you know, the fact that it, it, absolutely has to at the end of this film because it's an exorcist film it has to get back to god the devil pazuzu priest (laughs) like all of the christian things and most of this movie it successfully is not just about the christian version of good versus evil it's a it's a examination of, of human evil it's an examination of the capability of all people to do terrible things i mean take five that's father maron's conflict right there he he pointed the finger at 10 people 10 of his parishioners Mm -hmm. and they were assassinated so um yeah i mean i think he very much sees that he's you know there's ability to there's evil inside of everybody and i think he very much means it when he says it so i still find the him finding his way back to the cloth just in time to beat up on a demon um, not super believable, right? But it's still handled much better than <laughs> yeah. It's still film. very shoehorned. I mean, it's still I still like I said before. I still don't see this Father Marin becoming the Father Marin that we see in Georgetown, you know, or in in yeah. I, I just don't see it being the same one. Um, but I can see where they're trying to do that a little bit more here than in the Rennie Harlan version. And, you know, f- what I find interesting, too, is when, when Morgan Creek pulled the plug on Harlan, like you said before... On Schrader, reasons, you meant. On Schrader, excuse me. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Like you said mm-hmm. before, one of the reasons was because there wasn't a lot of gore and horrific imagery. Go back and watch The Exorcist. Go back and watch The Exorcist 2. Go back and watch The Exorcist 3. There isn't a lot. Those are psychological horror films. Yeah, you know, there and the is, moments that some, it is used, or some used of the gross-out stuff is used, is yeah, very it's, much. So. It's subtle and effective. I mean, you don't need to have blood and guts being pulled out of somebody and all that in a, in a movie like this. You don't need a lot of you know. You don't need that kind of shit. There's very little blood in the original Exorcist. I mean, besides the sores and. Yeah, cuts on Reagan's body. I mean, what there are is some there? Scenes, there is some blood here and there, but it's not a lot. It's not gratuitous. It's not like anyone's being disemboweled or there's no, blood and guts. No. Like um, and and in this one, they he was he was conservative with it too because the the most there is thing. a scene in Schrader's film, and I believe it's the equivalent scene. Uh, Ronnie Harlan's equivalent scene was the hyena ripping yeah. the child apart. Um, but there's a scene in a schoolhouse. The yeah, the other father, Father Francis, um, which we haven't mentioned that character either. But Father Francis is the young, straight from the Vatican um, missionary who's working in the village near the archaeological dig site. That kind of you know buddies up to Father Marin right away because supposedly when he was coming up in um, in the seminary or whatever, he was familiar with Father Marin's work and. Um, is a bit starstruck by him, honestly, when he first meets him. Uh, more so in the Harlan version, but definitely mentions that he knows him in the Schrader version as well. Right. Um, but um, he has a, a school in the village where he's teaching children or you know, doing his missionary work, so um, teaching Christian doctrine and also reading and writing arithmetic, that kind of stuff. And the natives in Schrader's movie start to blame not just the priests and not just the army, but actually the religion itself for their um, hardships. Neither of these films really gets into the hardships, but from some of the, the like imagery and stuff, I imagine that they are experiencing um, death and famine in their, the only real thing we get is their, the chief, has a pregnant wife who gives birth to a stillborn baby. And there's reference to that there are more stillbirths in the village. Um, Which in 
I believe that is one of the only pieces of reused footage in Rennie Harlan's film. Like, it's actually the exact same birth scene when the stillborn baby is yeah, born from so. Schrader's film. It's handled a little different, though. Like, they Yeah, don't, they in, don't... in Harlan's film, it's like, shake the maggoty baby in the camera as yeah, much as we can. Exactly. Um, but it's definitely the same shots. Like, it's definitely the same stuff. Um, the tribal shots, yeah. Yeah, and... Which is interesting. It's the only piece of footage that was reused. So well, I would assume that's not something you want to shoot numerous, numerous times. Yeah, so, yeah um, and it's a different angle with so, the nuggets on this one. So I, my whole point in all of this. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't get to the point of one of the tribal um, warriors comes in and murders all the school children. <laughs> yeah, um, which I just giggled at that, like it was something gleeful. To, <laughs> um, no, it's a tough scene. <laughs> yeah. No, it is, and, and that is that is handled very graphically. Yeah. Um, not necessarily like are we watching children get disemboweled? No, but it definitely doesn't shy away from the violence or the the blood and um and so yeah, I mean Schrader's film does have horrific images. It has blood and guts in the right places, but it's all it's there for you know this isn't a, a zombie film. It's not a, a falsy. Yeah, you know, Lucio Falsi film or something. It's 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 definitely, um, it's using horrific imagery uh, to actually shock you without it being jump scares or nightmare images or anything like that. I mean, that is a horrific nightmaric image, but it's not used in the same way. I mean, I guess it it's hard. I'm finding it's hard to describe that kind of a difference uh, unless people have seen it, right? Because if yeah. you watch this, both same shots, both films, really horrific content of the stillborn thing. and yeah. But it's done in a very different way. One of them is gratuitous. Rennie Harlan's is definitely gratuitous. It's in your face. This is more like, this is a horrible thing happening. Isn't that fucked up? And isn't that creep you out? It's and all it's about context and the way it it's used. Like, Harlan cuts away to it for just a second, and it's all about showing the... yeah maggot maggot crawling like baby corpse yeah and really screwed um, up for no reason it's exactly the same series of shots but i don't know it's all context it's so interesting and i before we we're we're getting close to out of time here but before we do is that like i kind of want to go into a little bit of that is like that's why watching these two films like back to back is so interesting is because you can see how something like that, even just the the birth, the native birth scene, um, or the stillbirth scene, yeah, that is the same scene in two movies. Just the context and the way it's it's presented and the things around it totally change. Yeah, it's handled very what it feels like films. or how what it means to the rest of the film as well. So, um, honestly, this would be an interesting thing to show film students like these two movies i think it's that it's that um kind of eye-opening yeah to absolutely. the film viewer of how different the same source material can be, can be interpreted by different artists or by different filmmakers uh, yeah in fact i i was trying to think when we brought this up last time about this is not something you really see we brought up you know justice league and other things like that um you know, switching directors, and we've already talked about, you know, I'm on to Dr. Moreau a little bit, but um, the only other example, and I'm sure there's others, but the only other big example about how a different director using some of the same, or a lot of the same footage, if not all the same footage, but recutting things and adding different music can totally change a tone. Uh, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead versus Argento's cut. Yeah, zombie. Zombie. Or Argento's version of Dawn of the Dead. Same, I mean, he didn't shoot new scenes i don't believe nope um, uh he just edited the film it runs like we i, I assume most people are familiar with dawn of the dead if not yeah. you should be you should but um should be. <laughs> uh dawn of the dead is a is a longer movie for a genre movie it runs a little over two hours and um argento cut it down to 94 minutes or something like that yeah um it's have you seen both versions have you seen the argento Oh yeah, it's version of the totally film totally different. Yeah, film. so they rescored it. Obviously, Goblin did the mo- yep. <laughs> the uh, music for it, and it is a totally different tone. It is much darker. It is much the pace is much more intense. It cuts out the like some of the lighter elements that Romero 
uh, yeah. has in the movie, the which people, scene, if when I do that. hear critiques of Dawn of the Dead, it's that, that some people just can't wrap their head around there being so many different kind of tones to the movie. Um, yeah, that it, it changes from slapstick comedy to like post-apocalyptic horror. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I, it, in my opinion, that's one of the things that's genius about it. But yeah, you're right. The, the Argento cut is much more a straightforward horror film. And yeah, that's a great experiment as well. If you're a fan of that that mm-hmm. film and you haven't seen Zombie, the Argento Italian cut, um, yeah, I think that's a, that that's up. a good example. Like we were talking about before, you know, you've got a film being made by the the writer, the director, the editor, and and to some degree, a very important degree, the the score as well. And that's a good example, I think, of same movie, same footage, but it was and not even really re-edited, like moved around, but just cut and scored differently it really changes the tone obviously it's the same story but it it changes your your experience as as a viewer it changes what kind of movie it really is in this case we're seeing complete different films you know virtually i mean they they couldn't be more different even though they're telling basically the same story yeah and in this case you know you've got minimal footage that's used in both in other words i mean it's it's the akin of stock footage right and like there's the only one i noticed um i've only watched them once each but was that one scene it's the only thing I noticed repeated. Yeah, I me too. Um, Certainly, they didn't get the real hyena footage back because they used those awful CGI ones. And right, I think you yeah. Paul Schrader's. I think there's some practical effects for the hyenas. Yeah, yeah, I think there was. I think there was some real hyenas, which might have been just stock. But and then there was, uh, yeah, I think there was a practical or a, a, a puppet one. And then mm-hmm. they did have some CG ones. The CG in Paul Schrader's film is not much better. No. But luckily, he doesn't do things like have a demon woman spider crawling all over the cave walls and ceiling and, you know, right. things like that. Or well, have and... flies on everything in every goddamn scene. Yeah. Oh, I'm back to complaining about them. But you know but, what? Yeah. And, and <laughs> that that was something else, too. Like I brought that up last week, too, about how, you know, in... I, I think I'm a little more forgiving of the unfinished-looking visual effects in Schrader's version because the movie overall feels like it was stitched together. It feels like this was a film that was finished on a low budget. Yeah, um, and you can tell so, they said they couldn't get the... They they didn't have a, the budget to get it color-corrected. Um, the colorist... Yeah, it, who it, was, it, um, it looks low budget. And even though it started out with, with full support, it looks low budget. Um, but the story is compelling enough where, like a lot of low-budget, not all, but like a number of low-budget films, if the story's good, it's amazing what you're willing to forgive. What's funny you is know? both of these movies, in their own way, look like low-budget films just for different reasons. And one's a good good kind of low-budget film, and the other's the opposite. So Right, right. When you've got a film that had, you know, a major studio supporting it and marketing it and, and putting it all the way into a mainstream theatrical release... And it still looks like shit. That's a problem. In this case, it actually looks pretty good for a low-budget film. And then when you learn the whole history behind the two, it gets even more interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I think I... And I, I'm trying to be be self-aware of this, but I think I, I do give Schrader's, films, uh, or Schrader's film here higher praise because I'm not as eager to criticize some of the bad visual effects and some of the other problems. I well, yeah, you got $35,000 to sh- to finish yeah. this thing, so I guess there's a reason. Yeah, and I think because I know There's that, no excuse for the origin yeah. or for the beginning to have those issues. Like no, it's, no, but, but the saving grace of Schrader's films is that it is, at the end of the day, a better story. It still doesn't, to me, it still doesn't feel like a good exorcist story, but it's a good story about evil. And that's... So if you got to shoot fun. a letter grade at it, what are... What's it gonna be? Um, I want to give it higher, but I'm actually gonna give this one like a C, C plus. Um, the the content is very good, but just as if I remove the my intrigue for the history behind how this film was made, um, and I just look at it as a film as it is, uh, yeah, you know, it's not. It doesn't look incredibly well made as far as how it's shot because there's problem with the color correction and there's bad visual effects and. There's still some, you know, eh, acting here and there, but I, I I like it a lot more than obviously the other version. 
So I give it a C, though, because the, the big saving grace here is that even through all of those problems, damn, this is still a really intriguing story and very thought-provoking. And in that way, it kind of does, in my opinion, I'll... I don't know if I'll. I don't know if I can still comfortably say it's truly a prequel to The Exorcist, but it deserves a place on the shelf next to The Exorcist franchise. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the same about the same there. I'd say it's a C movie, maybe a C plus, but it's a very good movie. Like it's a C plus that's worth watching. Um, it's kind I, of a hard one to rate. I'm afraid. Yeah. I'm afraid that most of my praise for it does come from the fact that I watched it second immediately after I watched Exorcist the beginning. And so, by contrast, it just seems so good. Yeah. Um, it's so much. It's like, like literally, you, you get the cliche of a fresh breath of air. But that's what I felt like. Like I was like, okay, this makes sense. Like this feels better. Like this is. Yeah. Um, and no, I, I I do agree with you that it doesn't really feel like an Exorcist prequel style wise. It just never really gets to feeling like an Exorcist film. Um, and I think in the the original two sequels, both The Heretic and Exorcist Three, um, did feel like Exorcist sequels. Whether they were as I mean, neither of them were as good as the original. I mean, it's just one of those things where the original is such a classic. You, you're never going to get to that point. So, mm-hmm. so what you hope to do with a prequel, I think, is add to the mythology, add to the you know backstory of characters. I'm not sure it quite lived up to any of that stuff. Um, so I am going to hold it a little bit against Paul Schrader that I I think that he didn't feel strongly attached to the fact that it was an exorcist prequel and just really wanted to make a movie about uh, faith and the nature of evil and, and all these a little more cerebral or a little more heady stuff than uh, um, certainly than Rennie Harlan was doing, but maybe even than um, some of the other exorcist films. So, however, I will say that this one earns it. Uh, the beginning just doesn't get to be considered an exorcist movie in my book. It's just too, too bad, too schlocky, too like low, low brow for, for this series. Um, this one can sit on the shelf. Like you said, this one works for me. It may not narratively work for me, but it just, it's, it's a good enough movie that it, it can be, it's, it belongs in the box set with the rest of them. Yeah, I would, I, I would, I would agree. I think uh, you know this is this is one this I is, would watch again. Yeah, this is a rewarding watch. I mean, just because our grades are a little low, and I think that's because we are evaluating it as a part of this series, as the, the Exorcist movies, um, a standalone movie. If you could, if you literally could go and get rid of the connections to the Exorcist and remake, you know, put a new ending on it or something, it this could be a very fantastic movie. Um, it would almost be more of a drama or a, a thriller um than a horror film it is more of a thriller than a horror film um it's what morgan creek didn't like about it so um that's true that's that's a true criticism but i don't think it actually makes it a bad movie i think it's a decent movie so yeah this is the one they should have released i don't know what they were thinking but well you know and and again even even though we totally took big steaming shits on exorcist the beginning um i still recommend if you're if you're interested in kind of you know getting in on this kind of a conversation, um, yes, you know I recommend doing this. Watch both of these films, even if you're not a big fan of the Exorcist franchise or something. Give these it's films just a shot. Just an... from a film going perspective, uh, from from a viewer's perspective. Wow, these are it's such totally a unique different. experience to be able to see and understand the influence that you know yeah. and 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 this is a take with a grain of salt obviously because i you know i studied cinema in college and and have made movies so coming from a filmmaker it's a little bit of a pat on my own back but i I think you get to see how it is that a director or a filmmaker is actually an artist and then what they contribute to um right to a project right right so so yeah anyway gotta we gotta wrap this one up so time flies when you're having fun i guess but (laughs) So what uh, what do we got uh, coming up here pretty soon? Well, let's see. So for the rest of the month of October, we have a couple of really good treats for you, and I I don't want to give too much away about our Halloween special, but I'm excited about that one. 
Um, obviously, that is coming out on Halloween. So that's going to be a special episode. Um, probably going to get that one as a bonus because it comes out midweek. Um, we're also going to be in no specific order, but we're going to be visiting the Deadly Spawn, a couple of Tarantino yes. flicks, uh, True Romance and Natural Born Killers. So we're doing a Tarantino wrote them but didn't direct them series of shows. <laughs> and also, as Joe mentioned last week, we're going to do a couple of, and these, this will be something I think that we're going to be do, doing a little more of as time goes on, but we're going to do a show that is not necessarily a review of one specific film. We're going to do a show that is just about vampire versus werewolf films and kind of the history of those and where they came from, uh, both in mythology and in Hollywood, in cinema. So yep. Yep. Um, that, that'll that be a lot of fun, and we're going to hopefully get a few more shows like that that are more just about a topic rather than one specific film. So if you have any ideas, any of you out there listening, shoot us a message. And, of course, you know how to get a hold of us. Shoot us an email at videojunkyardpodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Facebook or Twitter or, better yet, join our Facebook group and uh, that, that we actually do use to have discussions about all kinds of things that maybe may or may not have been discussed on the show. So. Absolutely. So keep tuning in. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And feel free to jump on those groups. Tell us what you think. Uh, we'd love to get some feedback from everybody. Yeah, and, and by the way, if... Sorry, by the way, if no, you loved no, The Exorcist, the beginning, I want to hear your review. Yeah. I want to hear someone defend this movie. But so, <laughs> Do you exist? Yeah, are you out there somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> Rennie Harlan, write us right away. No. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> At least it's not like Weeble, where every time Weeble has a movie and it comes out and it's a shit fest because all of his films are, then he gets onto some social media and he complains oh, oh, about oh, oh. it. <laughs> yes, there, are, there is a, a cult show. of people that think Weeble is a genius, by the way. So we, we could have a whole show about that. That'd be a lot of fun. Because yeah. uh, he is, he's a trash master, that's for sure. But, Absolutely. So, but I anyway. want to thank everybody again for uh, listening to the Video Junkyard podcast. This is Joe Peterson. This is Eric O'Branson. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go. Go. Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at videojunkpod, and on Instagram as videojunkyardpodcast, all one word. I want to thank you again for listening, and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard.